It's Wednesday, October 17th. Welcome to Market Fuller. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Pro, Brian Hinman, and from Motley Fool Hidden Gems, Jeremy Myers, making his Market Foolery debut. Woo! Happy to be here. Good to get you in the studio. Uh, About er- time. Thanks er- for the invite. <laughs> well, Jeremy's like, yeah, it only took you guys 300 episodes to invite me. Uh, earnings Palooza continues. We're going to talk IBM. We're going to talk Pepsi. Oracle is in the news, but not for their earnings. Uh, but we're going to start with Bank of America. Bank of America's third quarter earnings fell nearly 95%. And Brian, I have to believe that Wall Street had to have expected even worse than that because the stock is basically flat today. Down 95% is really good for Bank of America. Yeah, it's, yeah down 95% is the new awesome. What, what is going on with so Bank I of think, America? So I think what you are missing uh, is what didn't happen during the quarter. Bank of America did not make a boneheaded acquisition this quarter. Stock goes up. Golf clap for Bank of America. They just paid for the old ones. <laughs> Still working on that, yeah. No, in all honesty, uh, the business trends here are moving in the right direction. Uh, deposits were up, mortgage and lending volumes were up, and the capital ratio improved. So all of these are really good things uh, for Bank of America, but they only really look good because of how bad things have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's what we need to keep in mind here. I mean, there's still a lot of work Bank of America needs to do. They've got more than $20 billion uh, worth of sub-subprime uh, mortgages on their books. They've still got about that same amount, another $20 billion of sub-subprime uh, credit card receivables. So uh, together, that is, it's like, I don't know, 30, 30 to 40% of their tier one capital ratio. And they're reserved against that. But the bottom line is there's still a lot going, uh, they still have a lot of work to do before anything is truly, truly better. Uh, another big thing I don't like about, about Bank of America is I think they're structurally disadvantaged. Um, Jeremy made the joke that they're still paying for their old acquisitions. Between 90, 1998 and uh, 2011, they spent $150 billion on acquisitions. How much of that is Merrill Lynch? Because that, like, when I think of Bank of America making acquisitions, I know there, there was more than Merrill Lynch. But to me, that's the big one that yeah, stands out. Countrywide was a huge oh, one that's as well. Right. There you but go. the point is they spent $150 billion, but their market cap today is 102 billion. So clearly they have shown uh, a great ability to eviscerate capital. <laughs> well, uh, countrywide they only paid about 2 and a half billion, but it's ended up costing them almost 40 billion. Yep. The, the these the, the legacy liabilities that are uh, that are still there have led to an enormous uh, uh, expense structure for them. They've had to put aside a ton of cash to pay these liabilities because they're getting they're they're getting their pants suit off. But they also employ I I have no idea how many, but probably the largest army of of lawyers you've ever seen. Uh, Over the past, I don't know, six quarters, they've averaged about $900 million in professional fees. Uh, $900 million per quarter? I mean, try and wrap your head around how how large an expense that, an ongoing expense that is for Bank of America. I mean, that's more money than Deer made last quarter. It's (laughs) enormous. Well, you can see that in their mortgage arm also because it's basically record originations right now. Originations were up 12% over last quarter, but they're just breaking even because they're spending so much resources on processing defaults and foreclosures. So that that business is just breaking even when everyone else is just killing it. So, Jeremy, we were talking before taping about the the cleanup that needs to continue at Bank of America. Is this one of those situations we, we talk about putting stocks on watch lists? Is this a situation with Bank of America where there is so much more cleaning up that still needs to happen that anyone who's thinking about this stock needs to essentially put it on a watch list a year from now or two years from now because 
anything that's going to happen in the next year or so is still going to be, any success they have is still going to be applied against all of the cleanup. Well, it's hard to say with uh, their mortgage business and how big those liabilities are going to be. Uh, some of the good news is that there's finally a settlement uh, on with shareholders over Merrill Lynch. It's, I think, the second biggest shareholder settlement, yep. comparable only to the uh, AOL uh, Time Warner acquisition. So it's two and a half, about two and a half billion. So that's a huge number, but you've checked off that box now. So it's sort of moving on to the next. Normally, we wrap up talking about the stock. I actually want to wrap up talking about the CEO, Brian Moynihan, because on the last two episodes of Market Foolery, we were talking about Vikram Pandit at, at Citigroup. And I, I, I sort of feel like when Vikram Pandit, whether he resigned or whether he was fired or some combination thereof, I feel like when he left yesterday, a little bit of Brian Moynihan died inside. <laughs> because if I'm Brian Moynihan, one of the few things I have to point to if, if I'm getting criticized is, well, at least I'm not Vikram Pandit. Well, he's gone now. And I get that he had a big cleanup job, but he's been CEO for nearly three years. And Bank of America, when you put the, the stock performance against J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, even against Citigroup, it's still getting crushed. How much longer does Brian Moynihan have at the helm of Bank of America before people start calling for his head? So he's been at it about three years now. Um, and I sort of uh, like to think about the Vikram Pandit move as, uh, you know, this year in Major League Baseball, uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates were actually pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and so they ended a streak of like, I don't know, 12 years of futility. And so now... But they had something like, like, I think it was more, I think it was like 17 losing seasons in a row or something like that. So now, with them being promising, everyone's eyes are turning into, okay, well, who's the next worst team? <laughs> and everyone is staring at the Houston Astros, right? So now with Vikram Pandit gone, I see everyone turning their eyes to saying, okay, who's the next horrible you know, bank CEO? And, the, and, and everyone's eyes are falling squarely on Moynihan. He has done very little to uh, you know, elicit any sort of confidence um, from the market. Shares of IBM down 5% this morning after third quarter revenue came in lower than expected. Big blue, Jeremy. What happened? Overall, they seem to be doing fairly well. I mean, the operating profits uh, were up about 10%. But I think the news here, this is the fifth straight miss on revenues. So sales are definitely weakening and across many segments, many industries. So I think this is more of a IBM being the bellwether and starting to realize, you know what, some companies are packing it in. They're not sure what's happening into the last quarter or next half of the year. Uh, they're not doing a lot of capital spending right now, and they're just trying to wait and see what's going to happen, at least in the U.S. with the election, with the physical cliff, uh, to just get some visibility. Uh, their guidance is still solid, but the stock has just been on an incredible run this year. It's fall, it's what, down 3 or 4% today, but it's off just off its 52-week high. So I think it's had a nice run, but now people are saying, okay, let's take a breath here and see how this business is actually going to be performing. Yeah, I should say, you know, it's it's not a great morning for IBM, but if you look back, and as long-term investors, we try and take the long-term view, you look back over the last 18, 19 years, and I think the number is something like 18% the stock has returned annually over over that time frame. So certainly, it's, it's been uh, an amazing, steady performer. Um Brian, we were talking before taping. You look at, uh, and we're, we're taping this midday. So as of midday, the S&P is up, the NASDAQ is up, the Dow is down, 
solely because of IBM. If you pull IBM out of the Dow 30, the Dow is is beating, you know, is is up today, and IBM is single-handedly dra- dragging it down. What does that say to you? Is it like when you when you hear something like that, does that does that resonate with you in terms of the Dow maybe not being the best indicator of the overall market performance? Does it say something about IBM? What what does that say to you? It makes me sigh and roll my eyes, Chris. <laughs> I'm glad I could do that for you. <laughs> you know, it just points it points to the silliness of having a price-weighted index. Um, and for our listeners out there, um, a price-weighted index is an index that weights its constituents based on their its share price. A share price uh, is arbitrary. Um, and so the fact that IBM has a high share price, it has a disproportionate impact on the performance of the Dow. And that's why you say when you remove IBM, the Dow is doing just fine. So over a long period of time, you know, that's, it's reasonable to look at an index like that. And we have incredible historical data with the Dow. Uh, and so that is its value, is that it has endured, and we have wonderful, you know, data on it going back further. But uh, I don't think that you can look at it anymore and say this is a representation of what is truly going on in the, you know, the global market or, you know, the domestic market. Jeremy, do you look at something like this with IBM falling this morning? Do you look at, at this kind of thing as a buying opportunity? Not necessarily for yourself, but just in in the way that we think about, again, stocks. Uh, you know, If you have a stock on a watch list, this is the kind of time that it's like, look, nothing's fundamentally changing about IBM's business, and now shares are you know 5% off. As an investor, you're looking for sales. You know, like this is... And I'd much rather buy the company at 5% off uh, than at the price it traded yesterday. Uh, So these are great opportunities, uh, but you still have to look at the valuation from an absolute perspective and not just relative to where it was yesterday. And shares seem to be, just with a quick look, fairly priced right now. I I don't look at it as a screaming buy, but you're still – this is a world-class business. And it has a great secular trend of big data where companies have all this data – and they want to know how to be able to gather it and to analyze it. And IBM is really sort of at the forefront of going into these companies and installing and helping them use their databases and enterprise software and being able to maximize that value. So there's uh, IBM is far in the lead uh, when it comes to that. So when you're looking at best of breed sort of companies, they don't really get cheap very often. And, and the companies continue to buy back a ton of stock. It's it's. Uh, generated $17.5 billion in free cash flow over the last year and has bought back $12.5 billion of its stock. So it's trying to return uh, a bunch of cash to shareholders, uh, which uh, is something that any investor should, should be looking for in a good business. Pepsi's earnings came in higher than expected, but profits fell 5% due to increased money spent on marketing. Brian, what did you make of Pepsi's quarter? It was sort of an as-expected quarter. Um, you know, there was a little currency noise in there. Um, but management reaffirmed guidance, so, you know, it was nothing sort of out of the ordinary. Uh, as you pointed out, uh, the efforts to uh, increase ad spending have been going on for several quarters now, and this really marks uh, an interesting strategy that uh, CEO Indra Nui is, is, is trying to take the business. And really what they're trying to do is they are spending like gangbusters to position their brands appropriately. Uh, and really what they're trying to do is just differentiate their brands a little bit um, so that they can charge more for their products over the long term. And so um, you're seeing this right now with uh, a huge Gatorade and Pepsi push in the NFL. Um, you're seeing sort of a rebranding of Gatorade from you know, uh, a sports drink to uh, athlete fuel, right? And uh, the difference between a sports drink 
uh, and in, uh, something that quenches your thirst and fuel for athletes is that people are willing to pay more if they think it enhances their performance, right? So that shift is happening now, but we don't know if it's actually taking hold. I suspect that we'll see similar moves uh, with, re- with regards to Sobe and Naked Juices. Mm-hmm. Um, Right now, uh, in, in this quarter, uh, volumes were up only 1%, but pricing was up 4%. I don't know if that, you know, pricing increases of that magnitude are sustainable, but that is clearly the direction that Nui wants to take this company. And, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's different from how it's been in the past. I was going to say, they, they seem eager to talk about how much money they're spending, <laughs> which is not normally what you hear out of companies. Normally, the companies are much more eager to talk about the money that they're making. But it seems it seems like, at least from the standpoint of the stock performance, it's starting to pay off a little bit because you go back, look over the last five years, even just the last two years, Coca-Cola shares are beating Pepsi quite soundly. You go back just one year, and they basically have the exact same performance. They're both up around 15%. Um, and to the, to the volume uh, that you were talking about, Pepsi's CFO came out and said that just in the month of September, their volume growth in China was 9%. Now, granted, that's just one month, but compare that to Coca-Cola, which earlier this week, their volume growth in China was just 2% for the quarter. That's the sort of thing that I'm not a Pepsi shareholder. I'm a Coca-Cola shareholder. But I look at that and I think, gosh, if they can extend that out, if they can sustain that in any way, that that could be a huge growth opportunity. Yeah. And in in growing areas, uh, you know, that ad spending uh, and building the brand where the brand isn't necessarily as established, where consumer preferences and habits aren't necessarily as, as cemented as they are in, in mature markets, uh, you can see those sorts of swings and those sorts of growth uh, to come from increased ad spending. They're spending for the halftime show of, at the Super Bowl, Beyonce. Bring on Beyonce. <laughs> uh, you know what? The, let's be honest. The the past few Super Bowls, some of the halftime acts, not not so great. Oh, definitely a step up. Yeah. Was Madonna last year? Was that the Man, year? and wasn't it, uh, who was it before that? Was it, it was like Keith Richards or something like this? Uh, I don't know. I did not like the trend it was going. This one should be, uh, it should be much more entertaining. We're bullish. There should be some. There's, there's a little more youthfulness to energize. We're the crowd. bullish on Beyonce as a halftime performer. I, th- I think that's fair to say. Uh, finally, Larry Ellison is not just the CEO of Oracle, the 150 billion dollar tech company. He is also the primary backer of Oracle Racing, the sailboat racing group that won the America's Cup in 2010. To get ready for the 2013 America's Cup, the team was doing a practice run in San Francisco Bay and capsized near the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, fortunately, no one was hurt, but the yacht was seriously damaged, and the yacht costs somewhere between 8 and $10 million. I'm not an Oracle shareholder, but if I were, this would annoy me. This is just one of those, thi- this is just one of those things that I just want... I, call me old-fashioned, but I just want my CEOs to stick to their knitting. I just, you know, Jeff Bezos at Amazon, who I love, and as a longtime shareholder, I'm, I just love what he's done with the company. But every once in a while, he sort of strays off and, and does something that just makes me think, gosh, would you please just go back to the office and focus And these on- guys do nothing small. I you're, mean, they're going big. You're saying Larry they're, Ellison they're is going to spare no expense. So if he has to blow $10 million on sure. a yacht. Uh, Chris, when I read this story... I had a picture in my head of, you know, the guys on this boat sort of standing on the part that hadn't gone underwater yet. <laughs> they they whip out their cell phone and they they call up Larry Ellison 
and they say, Larry, we wrecked your $10 million boat. Larry yawns, $10 million falls out of his mouth, and he he has his chauffeur deliver it, $10 million and a new boat, like via submarine. Uh, This really is a drop in the bucket for Larry Ellison, and uh, he's probably looking at this and and getting excited and saying, what, I can get a new boat? This is wonderful. I didn't like that color. Yeah. So, uh, Well, what I loved is that the move that they were executing was called the bear away at the time at Capsize. So uh, I don't know what that's going to mean for their stock. You know, <laughs> is that like okay. a new? I See, I know yeah, nothing about make. yachting. So is that a new move? Is that uh, a controversial move? Is it illegal? Is it, you know? It, you got me. It sounds risque. Yeah. It's, it's, it sounds risque. And, le, and let's be clear, it, end, it resulted in the boat capsizing. <laughs> so I, I get that it was rough on, uh, on the water yesterday, but... Uh, all right. Uh, are we bullish? Are we as bullish on Oracle's racing team repeating as America's Cup champs next year? Are we as bullish on that as we are on Beyonce's halftime show? Ooh, no way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got the. I got. Uh, I have to take Beyonce in this one. Brian Hinman, Jeremy Myers, guys, thanks for being here. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Houston Astros fan Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.